Hey, everybody, it's good to talk with or at you again, as it were, David. And I just have a question for you on this beautiful day. Mm-hmm. How special do you feel today? How special? <laughs> do you feel extra special? Or maybe not so special? Well, we'll talk about that because today, everybody, we're talking about special or not so special witnesses of Jesus Christ, because it wouldn't sound as cool to say a special witness of Yahshua ben Joseph. All right, man. So uh, what the hell are we talking about? Always the question of the day when you're listening to our podcast. And sometimes at the end of the podcast, you still don't know. And in that sense, we're like the GAs in the Mormon church. Right? Could yeah. you please answer this question for me? Oh, thanks for that answer. What the fuck did he say? What did I he don't... just say? What? Yeah. And he walks away smiling because that's he's achieved it, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> ah, good. I confused him without answering their question. All right. Perfect. Perfect. And I made it feel like it's their responsibility. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I hope I get a pay raise for this. Yeah. Uh, They don't get paid, do they? (laughs) All right, bro. So, again, what the hell are we talking about? Well, before we jump into it, let's get into the one, the only LDS Church Church. in the Mm. news. (laughs) (laughs) So, this week in Mormon land... That article or column in the Salt Lake Tribune. Gay member of the Tab Choir discusses his gift. Yes, not too long ago were the days when if you called yourself a gay member of the Tabernacle Choir, you would no longer be a member of the Tabernacle Choir. (laughs) Immediately called into the office. Yeah, you're not living uh, the gospel. You need to go. That, That would be immediate. Well, he believes, he attends church, he speaks at single wards, he sings in the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, and he's openly gay. I'm currently celibate, says Alex Lindstrom. Currently? What's that mean? Oh! Tells Douglas Douglas Jessup in an installment of ABC4 News' Jessup's Journal. Okay, so this came from Jessup's Journal. I don't watch the local news, so I don't know. And my beliefs forbid sexual relations outside of marriage between a man and a woman, and I intend to honor that. All righty. Okay. Lindstrom says he remains, quote, open to other kinds of relationships, developing deep friendships, unquote. This is my favorite quote in the article, Dave. Quote, it would be nice to even have a chaste companion someday, he adds. (laughs) In the ABC4 News interview, I have these boundaries with the gospel, but that doesn't mean I can't love a man or several men or several men. Wow. What? Or that I or that I can't experience non-sexual intimacy and vulnerability with people. I mean, we're created for connection. Um, wow. What? How does uh, this guy even know that he's gay? I... Lindstrom, who says he ultimately accepted his sexual orientation at age 18, sees being gay as a calling to, quote, love in different ways. 
and as a gift, in quotes, that he's still trying to discover how best to use. Uh, yeah, I, I empathize. I, yeah. I think I understand what he's saying there. Yeah. 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 As I generally say about these kinds of topics lately, anyway, I, I think the way I mostly feel when I read or hear a story like that is sad. Yeah, exactly. I mostly yes. just feel sad. I feel sad for the person. I feel sad that they have had to perform mental gymnastics, which you kind of have to do now to stay in the church, even if you're heterosexual, that they have to perform mental gymnastics to be able to kind of wrap their head around what this means for them in their life, right? And while they're doing those gymnastics, they most likely fall off the parallel bars or the rings or all of the above because you're going to have some damage. That's right. There's no way you're, you're going to maintain some place where there's not some cognitive dissonance and other mental issues as a result anyway. Yeah. Yeah, completely right. I I think it's sad. I think it's dumbfounding almost sometimes to listen to the reasoning, I guess, that these people have to put together in their minds to make it try to fit. Right. You know, to fit their square life into a circle hole or whatever metaphor you want to use there. It's not going to ever fit. And nope. they're assuming that it has to somehow because this is the truth and this is also the truth about me so those two pieces have to fit somehow someday and the reality is a little different right so that's Mm. it's unfortunate anyway that's lds church in the news and we're gonna hop right into it dave with a little bit of for your your information All right, where are we at here chronologically? There's my little star. Now, this is, uh, we're getting to where a lot of these entries are more just historical. Mm-hmm. So I hope I hope this doesn't become too boring, but there's always an interesting backdrop against, you know, U.S. history, world history, mm-hmm. as we read church history, as Michael mentioned last week. So, Okay. May 12th, we're in 1912, Church Board of Education approves seminary near Granite High in Salt Lake City. This grows into release time program wherever legal in the western states and into early morning seminary program everywhere else. Right. So that whole thing started in 1912. Okay. I was part of and graduated from the early morning seminary program, which mean I woke up at about 5 Mm a.m. and was at seminary by 6, released at 7, went home, ate some breakfast, got ready for school, which usually started around 8. Doesn't that sound about right? Yeah, depends on the school. Yep. Yeah. Sounds about right. And so think about that intrusion into your life, into your sleep life, into your mental life. Mm -hmm. Let's get them up. Like, just like the fucking military. I didn't think of it just now. (laughs) Get them out. Hey, up. Let's go. Yeah. Report. And uh, soldier, those shoes are not shined. (laughs) 
bust you down today, boy. So I didn't know this about you because I didn't know a lot about that part of your life. I mean, a little bit. Uh, obviously, I knew you during that age, but <laughs> you went to all four years of early morning? All four years. Okay. And so what you would do is that uh, someone who was 16, obviously, would usually drive occasionally yeah. it was a parent but mostly it was a fellow student who had a license in a car obviously mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they would usually pick up four to six other students in their ward and we'd go to seminary yeah so and, you may not have known this you know our parents moved i don't know how many times now probably a record one of the top 10 most moved families in the united states in, in all United in States all history. of U.S. history. I'm not joking, people. Uh, we moved a lot. So I went to three different high schools. I started high school where you'll remember a place in California to remain unnamed, I guess, where we spent one of our longer stints as we were moving around. That's where I started high school. Two I left after, something. actually, I started, I was there my freshman year is all. Then I went my sophomore and half of my junior year to a high school in Utah. Then I graduated the last half of my junior year and entire senior year were back in a California high school, different one. So three different high schools. So in the first California school, early morning, seminary in the utah school release time release time where i would walk from school right to a seminary building on campus there and do seminary during a period of class which was a totally different experience for me and then back to california where it was early morning seminary again oh wow okay yeah. that's interesting so i experienced yeah. both yeah I have so many stories from cemetery. Cemetery. <laughs> what we used to call it. I just remembered cemetery. <laughs> Shit. Uh, one of my buddies was really good uh, artist. He could just draw things just on a in, in a second pictures, mm -hmm. and uh, he drew a picture in my yearbook from my sophomore year. I'm recalling, and he, it's a picture of me pushing over the entire bookshelf with all the copies of the book of mormon on it and all the scriptures <laughs> then there's the seminary teacher standing there and he's saying what would alma think <laughs> uh, i still have that yearbook so uh, okay that was an aside sorry no nah, uh, that's all good <laughs> can't, can't help it uh, so that but that's an important date because it's still going on yeah let's jump down to october joseph f smith publishes an editorial in the Improvement Era favoring the election of Republican William H. Taft as U.S. president. Uh-oh. Utah v votes for Taft, probably because the prophet did, but the nation elects Democrat Woodrow Wilson. Oh, Shit. yeah. Because it, he could have got a revelation on that, but no. God wanted him to learn a lesson. Okay. It's a good thing it was an election instead of a horse race, right? They would have all lost their pants, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Next year, 1913, Deseret News favorably reviews 100 Years of Mormonism, first commercial film about Mormons made with the cooperation 
of church officials. And that's weird because it's in 1913. Hmm. So what do they mean? A hundred years of Mormonism. Uh, anyway, um, that's odd. Yeah. Cause wasn't here's the church snippet on that Hollywood produces other silent features, which portray Mormonism less favorably. Uh Oh, one of them is the mountain meadow massacre uh-huh. in 1912 that year. And Deadwood Dick spoils Brigham Young. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what the hell that's all about. Yeah. Dead, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have, Deadwood Dick spoils Brigham Young, 1915. Sounds like slang for a medical condition. <laughs> is that is that your you're dra- dragging your wood around again, huh? Okay. <laughs> hey man, I heard you talk to the doctor yesterday. You you oh, are you kidding? Yeah. Deadwood Dick. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Forty seven wives, Brigham. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. you're wondering why that thing's dragging on the ground. <laughs> oh God. Oh. Okay. One more at least. Uh yeah. the end of that year, December 17th, death of Joseph Smith's last surviving plural wife, and you'll recognize this name. Mary Rollins Leitner. She uh-huh. helped save the still unbound book of commandments from the printing office that was set afire by the mob in 1833. Well-known story in Mormon lore. Yeah. She witnessed this. Check this out. She witnessed the adoption of the 1835 DNC, which prohibited polygamy and became the secret plural wife of joseph smith at nauvoo while still living with her non-mormon husband (laughs) oh my god wow wow how did you handle that how well did she do with that mind fuck uh yeah i don't remember the year when they took that back out and they put in section 132 where it does command polygamy again yeah, but the poor girl. Um, yeah, she. You know, she's in this juxtaposition. Oh yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. So we're going to finish on 1914, okay. a significant year in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. August 25th, First Presidency cables missionaries to leave France and Germany immediately due to the outbreak of. Yep, World War One, right? World War One. Yeah. Yep. Now, short bit today, but interesting bits. And as you said, Dave, you know, kind of looking back and comparing what's going on in the church to what's going on in the world at the time, and some instances where you see that kind of coincide or go in parallel, and other instances where some of what the church is doing is like completely bass backwards against what's going on, right, around them. So interesting stuff. Yeah, that whole period must have been weird when the Book of Commandments morphs into the Doctrine and Covenants, along with some of the changes that go with that. So you have that brief period where polygamy is forbidden, and then, oddly, still today, unless I missed some LDS Church news, <laughs> we have <laughs> Section 132 in the Doctrine and Covenants. There. Still there, which explains not only is polygamy a commandment and allowed, it is the new and everlasting covenant yes. of God. It is the it is a covenant level practice 
although mysteriously the church has decided to not practice it, but leave so it in their most, scriptures. Most of those changes, and we discussed this before, of, from the Book of Commandments becoming the Doctrine and Covenants, mm -hmm. are all retroactive changes because the dates are all screwed up. Yeah, that's right. I think we we're talking about the restoration of the priesthood and other things that were just all jumbled. Yeah. And so they rectified a bunch of those. They made some minor adjustments. Well, you know what we say about rectifying, Dave? You know, first of all, you analyze it and then you rectify it, right? Rectify it. Yes. So, you know, if the audience will bear with me, thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. You, you do have a degree in proctology, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, the brethren do. I yeah. Okay. Anyway. They're so good at rectifying situations. So back to the point of our episode today, or the, the thrust, as it were, no pun intended. We have this concept in the Church of Jesus Christ, called Special Witnesses of Christ. And we talked with an old friend of ours. So I called Dana Carvey up on the phone the other day. I said, Dana... I used to love watching your church lady bit. I don't know if you know, Dave, that Dana came back to us with the church lady skit in 2016 after years oh. and years of departure from that skit and pretty much held to his own on that same delivery. It was kind of funny. I don't know if he's still doing it. I don't watch Saturday Night Live anymore, actually, uh, on a regular right. basis, but... Anyway, yeah, one thing that the church lady, of course, was known for is this phrase that she used to say, or he, Dana Carvey, used to say as church lady, and about this special witness of Jesus Christ concept, he had this to say. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> and I had to agree that it's special. special. Yeah. So what is this? Let's give a little history here. This goes all the way back to the concept of the original apostles that were hanging out with Jesus. And so if you're going to restore the church, and it's Jesus' church, you're probably going to have apostles in it, right? And if you have apostles in it, which the church did, they operated for a while without them. I don't remember how many years. I don't remember the whole dating of all this kind of stuff. At some point, Joseph and Oliver one or both kind of realize, hey, gosh, if we're going to have the restored church of Jesus Christ, maybe we should have 12 apostles in it. Nobody else along with that. Along with the priesthood itself, all of these were afterthoughts. Right, yeah. So the restoration of the Aaronic, the Melchizedek, all of the things that happened in the Kirtland Temple, right. the organization of the 12 and the First Presidency, all of these were way after the beginning, like, oh, shit, we got to legitimize this. Wow. What? Right. Okay, let's do this now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so it was actually a huge departure from other Christian churches because, to my knowledge, none of them—I could be speaking erroneously. Maybe one of our listeners will call me out and send me an email or something. I don't think anybody had apostles. I don't think today no. even most Christian churches have the concept of— 12 apostles, that whole thing. I think that's pretty much gone. But they decided 
Joe and Oliver and whoever else, hey, we better have this. And so in the History of the Church, Volume 2, we have the what's called the General Charge to the Twelve. So we have an excerpt. This was in 1830... Um, okay, let's read this for a second. The following general charge was given to the Twelve by President Oliver Cowdery. Dear brethren, previous to delivering the charge, I shall read a part of a revelation. It is known to you that previous to the organization of this church in 1830, the Lord gave revelations, or the church could not have been organized. The people of this church were weak in faith compared with the ancients. Those who embarked in this cause were desirous to know how the work was to be conducted. They read many things in the Book of Mormon concerning their duty, the way the great work ought to be done. But the mind of men are so constructed that they will not believe without a testimony of seeing or hearing. The Lord gave us a revelation that in process of time there should be twelve men chosen to preach his gospel to Jew and Gentile. Well, I'm not going to tell you when that was, but... I'm going to just tell you, he, honest, he told us he would eventually call 12, since they're doing this retroactively. Back to your point, David. Yeah. Um, Our minds have been on a constant stretch. Well, that, that's a great way to say it. <laughs> Stretching this truth. Oh, my God. Yeah, perfect. Good, good well, job, Well, he says it this way. Our minds have been on a constant stretch. To find who these 12 were. Oh, okay. All right. So you've no been revelation? Looking. Yeah, right. What? Well, what? I, oh. well, okay. When the time should come, we could not tell. But we sought the <laughs> Lord. Uh, well, here we go. But we sought the Lord by fasting and prayer to have our lives prolonged to see this day, to see you. He's talking to these 12 men. And we have a list of these guys, by the way. I don't know that it really matters. And to take a retrospect of the difficulties through which we have passed. But having seen the day, it becomes my duty to deliver to you a charge. So here's the charge to the Twelve, the the infamous charge to the Twelve. And first, a few remarks respecting your ministry. You have many revelations put into your hands, revelation to make you acquainted with the nature of your mission. You will have difficulties by reason of your visiting all the nations of the world. You will need wisdom in a tenfold proportion to what you have ever had. You will have to combat all the prejudices of all nations. He then read the revelation and said, Have you desired this ministry with all our hearts? I think it should probably say your hearts. If you have desired it, you are called of God, not of man, to go into the world. Mm. Uh, He goes on, they're going to preach the gospel to every nation, the calling... The greater the calling, the greater the transgression, so don't turn away from being an apostle, blah, Which, blah. Uh, most of the first quorum of the Twelve did. Yes, that's never. right. Yeah, never mind that, right? So here we go. This is where we get to the concept of a special witness and what it really means to be an apostle. Quote, You have been indebted to other men in the first instance for evidence on that you have acted. But it is necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven for yourselves so that you can bear testimony to the truth of the Book of Mormon and that you have, hold on to your shorts, and that you have seen the face of God. That is more than the testimony of an angel. So he's comparing, you know, if an angel were to visit you, Moroni, whoever, Seeing the face of God is greater than that, obviously. 
So here we go. When the proper time arrives, you shall be able to bear this testimony to the world. What is that suggesting? Well, he's telling them directly here, when you bear testimony that you have seen God, this testimony God will never suffer to fall, but will bear you out. Although many will not give heed, yet others will. You will therefore see the necessity of getting this testimony from heaven. So he's not saying they have to have seen God already before he's talking to them on this moment to be worthy or whatever to be an apostle. But now that they are an apostle, that's part of the job. You need to see God's face, and then you would therefore testify to the world, right? One of the things that you can say is that you've seen God. That's what he's saying as part of their calling here. Never cease striving until you have seen God face to face. That's pretty clear, isn't it? There it is. So he says, strengthen your faith, cast off your doubts, your sins, and all your unbelief. Nothing can prevent you from coming to God. Your ordination is not full and complete until God has laid his hand upon you. That's pretty Mm. explicit. We require as much to qualify us as did those who have gone before us. There you go. God is the same. If the Savior in former days laid his hands upon his disciples, why not in latter days? Well, folks, this is pretty clear. Now, let let me insert something here. Mm -hmm. Within five years, five years later, 1835, we get this definition. So that definition is very clear. Very clear. From from Oliver Cowdery, assistant president at the time. And this is in DNC 107.23. The 12 traveling counselors are called to be the 12 apostles or special witnesses of the name of Christ in all the world. And Mm. just so just in five years, now it's not about testifying that you've seen his face, let alone been set apart by him is what that made it sound like touched by him. Mm -hmm. But now it's, you're just going to testify to his name in all the world. Yeah. And what, what does that even mean? Right. Testifying to his name. That's kind of odd. Well, you we know. have a couple GAs that are going to help us understand what that means. We do. The key point here is Oliver's statement to the Twelve, you're not going to hold that in quiet secret, right? Whatever. This got out, right? So oh, it was yeah. very, very well understood by the lay membership of the time that that was part of being an apostle, What everything Oliver said. Look, if you haven't seen God's face, you will. That's part of being the 12. You're not fully ordained to the 12 in your calling unless God lays his hands on you. He goes back and forth between the, the name God and Jesus Christ. So we're, we're confused a little bit. Is he talking about God the Father Well, the Son? he probably subscribed to Joseph's early understanding of the Godhead right. as being one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So who knows, right? But you're going to see him at some point. That's part of being an apostle. And then you'll be able to do a big part of your role, which, as we just heard, is to go out and tell the world, you know this, not only from the Spirit or even an angel visiting you, but from seeing God's face yourself. And you can testify to that. And that was going to be part of their duty, right, as apostles. He's very clear on this topic. Remember, he and Joseph say they saw Jesus, 
There was at least the instance in the temple, am I remembering correctly, where they saw Jesus standing on the mantle, whatever, and his eyes were like fire and his hair was amber, that whole vision. And now of all testimonies, this we can say that we have seen him standing on the right hand of God or whatever, you know, that that whole spiel. Kirtland Temple, April 3rd, 1836. Yep. Of all things that all men can say, this is what we can say. We have seen, we know that he lives for we have seen him, that whole thing. I think that one's in the Doctrine and Covenants, whereas this call to the 12 was captured in the history of the church. So this was very well known. These stories were propagated through the church, as you can very well imagine, right? People would talk about this stuff. Wow, did you hear Joseph and Oliver, they saw Jesus in the temple and they they told people about it. They told the members about it, etc., right? And so this goes on. So no surprise is the point I'm trying to make here, that the culture in the church started at that point, that that was their expectation of leadership in the church. They see Jesus. I may not. I'm told that I should, as it was very clear from Joseph Smith himself, right? He told people on more than one occasion, you're supposed to seek, remember our episode on the second comforter, you're supposed to seek that. Everyone has the privilege of getting that. Remember that? We also recall that that changed over time, and we have found through firsthand witnesses of the second anointing process, there is no Jesus. Oops. So that's gone away. That's been relegated to just an ordinance of washing feet and listening to one of the 12 talk to you. No Jesus. So the same thing here, back to your point, David, where it started with this very clear message and teaching that you're going to see Jesus's face if you're an apostle, that's part of your calling, to, well, you're going to testify of the name of Jesus. And so it's tied very closely, again, with the concept of the second comforter, which we talked about in detail in one of our episodes, because every apostle and his wife, evidently, I didn't know about their spouse part of it, gets to have the second comforter, gets to have the second anointing, if you will, which again, no Jesus is there. Now, don't tell the members this, because as we talked about in that episode, pretty sure if you were to anonymously, or I say randomly pick a hundred active members today and ask them, this whole second comforter, the calling and election made sure, that means you see Jesus, right? Most of them would say, yeah, yeah, that's what it is, right? Like, they believe that. So they don't know there's no Jesus in the temple (laughs) when the apostles (laughs) and their wives go to get the second comforter. So that's going on, and then we have this back to testify of his name. What does that mean? So you read a, a verse from the Doctrine and Covenants there, 107, verse 23, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have people, we know this is the culture, we know this is the belief, which is taught and believed by the members. So what do early members or early leaders say about this? We're going to jump here and there and, and share a few quotes. So about this idea of being a special witness, what does it mean? President George Albert Smith in 1950, quote, I have not seen the father or the son. Neither have I heard their voices in an audible way, but I have felt their presence and have enjoyed the whisperings of the still small voice that comes from them, 
the result of which has given me a testimony of the truth. Well, it. it might be helpful to know that George Albert Smith was not just an apostle when he wrote that. He was the church president, the <laughs> prophet. And that could go to an episode on just prophets. What makes you a prophet? I think more people than even the apostle topic would agree that, well, the prophet sees God, right? The prophet talks audibly with God. Does he not? That was what was taught and accepted and used as a tool to get members of the church to listen to every word. And that's the language in the DNC. You shall listen to every word from his mouth mm-hmm. because it, it's just as if I'm talking, meaning God. And forever, that's the way it was taught. But I guess they didn't see him. Oh, they didn't even get to hear him. But those impressions, they're, they're very strong. Mm. And that's my testimony. I get impressions. Yeah, which, you know, if you were to ask the church lady, <laughs> what do you think about this whole concept of changing it from being a special witness of Jesus by seeing him to just being a witness of his name without seeing him? Well, isn't that extra special? Yeah, I'd have to agree. I'd have to, I'd have to agree. That's extra special. Looking back to other earlier leaders in the church. So we talked before, guys, about Joseph F. Smith. So he was in a what they call the Reed Smoot hearings. He was sitting, actually testified under oath before Congress. <laughs> I don't know if you realize that in the Reed Smoot hearings. Here's Senator Dubio, which I would think would be misspelled, and maybe it was Dubois. I don't, it should be O-I-S, but it looks, it says D-U-B-I-O-S, dubious. Rather dubious, isn't it? Dubious. (laughs) 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 Whatever. So you'll love this little interview tidbit, guys. I don't think we got into this detail in the prior episode. So, Senator, have you received, he's talking to Joseph F. Smith, the president of the church at the time, have you received any revelations from God which has been submitted by you and the apostles to the body of the church in their semiannual conference? Which revelation has been sustained by that conference through the upholding of their hands? Since when? (laughs) Since you became president of the church? No, sir, none whatever. Wow. Uh, have you yeah. received any individual revelations yourself since you became president of the church under your own definition, even of, of a revelation? I cannot say that I have. Can you say that you have not? No, I cannot say that I have not. <laughs> what? The, what? Then you oh do not. <laughs> then you do not know whether you have received any such revelation as you have described, <laughs> or or whether you have not. Well, I can say this: that if I live as I should in the line of my duty, I am susceptible. I think of the impressions of the Spirit of the Lord upon my mind at any time, just as any good Methodist or any other good church member might be. And so far as that is concerned, I say, yes, I have had impressions of the Spirit upon my mind Mm -hmm. very frequently, but they are not in the sense of revelations. Wow. Honest answer. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then he later said, and this is what we shared before, I have never pretended to, nor do I profess to have received revelations. What do you guys mean? Why are you equating revelation to seeing the face of God? Well, well, that would definitely be of that nature, would it not? Isn't that the ultimate revelation? That's the ultimate I mean... revelation, isn't it? Said Brigham Young, since we're going back in time here, have I yet lived to the state of perfection that I can commune in person with the Father and the Son at my will and pleasure? No. Though I hold myself in readiness that he can wield me at his will and pleasure. If I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah, right? <laughs> if I am faithful until I'm 80 years of age, perhaps the Lord will appear to me and personally dictate me in the management of his church and people. A little over 20 years, and if I'm faithful, perhaps I will obtain that favor with my Father and God. Uh, holy shit. Another time, Brigham Young. He's talking about himself and the brethren. We have not seen the person of the Father, neither have we seen that of the Son. Um, uh-oh. Whoops. Another statement here in 1865, those prior were in like 1859-ish. It is our desire, said Brigham Young, to be prepared for a celestial seat with our Father in heaven. It was observed by Brother Grant that we have not seen God, that we cannot converse with him, and it is true that men in their sins do not know much about God. All righty. <laughs> do not know much yeah. about God. The, yeah. the religion that claims to know more about this Elohim than yes. any other yeah. religion on the earth. Yep. Heber wow. C. Kimball, I do not profess to be a prophet. All right. <laughs> yeah. Gordon B. Hinckley. We recall Gordon Hinckley, right? Yes. Now, we don't need a lot of continuing revelation. We have a great basic reservoir of revelation. But if a problem arises, as it does occasionally, occasionally, <laughs> a, vex a vexatious thing with which we have to deal, we go to the Lord in prayer. We discuss it as a first presidency and as a council of the Twelve Apostles. We pray about it. And then comes the whisperings of a still small voice. And we know the direction we should take, and we proceed accordingly. And this is Revelation. Says Hinckley, this is revelation. How often have you received such revelations? Oh, I don't know. I feel satisfied that in some circumstances we've had such revelation. <laughs> satisfied? It's a very sacred thing that we don't like to talk about a lot. A very sacred thing. Ah, here we go. One of the famous responses of apologetics. Well, you know, most of the brethren have probably seen Jesus, but it's so sacred they don't share it. Sacred, not secret. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Oliver say they should share it? Which is why they should seek God's face? Because they're supposed to say that they've seen God face to face? Oh, golly, Ollie. When did that go away, golly, Ollie? <laughs> oh, lordy, gordy, golly, Ollie. Oh, this was interview with Don Latin of the San Francisco Chronicle. There it is, Don yeah. Latin. I remember him. So, usually no voice of any kind, just a perception in my mind, says Gordon. Okay, so you're hearing voices in your mind. That's a little troublesome. Hey, Bruce R. McConkie, remember what? that he gave that famous testimony before he died? I won't know then, know then. better than I know now that Jesus lives, right? Which kind of suggests he's seen him, if you take it to that point. And he should have, since he's an apostle, right? McConkie makes the amazing confession, quote, I do not know all of the providences of the Lord, but I do know that he permits false doctrine to be taught in and out of the church. 
and that's oh, in, in, <laughs> that's right that's right such Did teaching he say is permit part. yes yes so it's part of a test he then. permits it such teaching is part of the sifting process of mortality oh my god yeah, i knew it yeah fucking apologetics right and we're back to the whole teaching here and there's several quotes that a new prophet's word is better than an old prophet or a dead prophet Right. Throw them under the bus. Yeah, you can always throw them under the bus. Doesn't matter what they say they've seen or what you should see. A special witness of Christ. Remember Oaks, David, in our last episode where we shared a little tidbit of his when he was at a youth conference? Right. And then Heather. girl Heather asked the question, have you had or the brethren an experience where you've seen an angel or something like what Alma the Younger saw, right? No, we haven't. I haven't. I don't know anybody who has. Well, I'm sure you would count seeing Jesus's face at that level or higher, according to Oliver, right? It's greater than seeing an angel, you would think, to see Jesus. So he's kind of saying he didn't. Well, he was on a youth conference hurricane, I guess, right, David? <laughs> because you found a clip where, remind us what date this was and what, what youth conference this was. Okay, a, a youth conference in t- August 2017. Okay. What it means to be a witness of the name of Christ. Okay. Yeah, so if you're going to say that you're a witness of his name, I think what the youth is a- asking here, what they're really wanting to hear is, look, it means we've seen Jesus, right? Because that's what the church believes. No, lives we've got two. Oliver and Joseph. Yes. Oliver, Ollie Joe. Ollie Joe. Joe, okay. Jolly. <laughs> Jolly. Oh! Jolliver. Jolliver. <laughs> what the hell? Whatever. All right. Well, this is what Oak says. Listen to this, guys. Uh, I may pause it off and on to make a comment. Here we go. Brothers and sisters, I ask often, what's it like to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ? I always answer that question in this way. Okay, first of all, you have a special situation. This is not the first time that the brethren have done this, right? That we have recordings of this, which I think is a bastardly thing to do. Bednar is known for doing this frequently. This youth is trusting, hey, I have this special situation where Oaks himself, one of the apostles, is visiting here, giving this conference thing. I have this special opportunity to ask an apostle of Jesus Christ a question. So they're asking, what's it mean to be a special witness? And he always starts with the answer, you tell me. (laughs) Oh, well, fuck me, I guess. I (laughs) thought I'd ask an apostle of Jesus... Something well, he's a lawyer. He's turning That's, it back that, on me. They answer a question with a question. He's sure. a lawyer. He can't yeah. help himself. Bastard. Okay, what else does he say here? Because you are a witness of Jesus Christ, and I'm a witness of Jesus Christ in the same circumstance. What? So, meaning that, you know, a, the commission to spread the gospel is it kind of what I'm getting from these statements. It, it simply means that as you're in conversations with your fellow men, you are commissioned to testify of Jesus Christ. Right. That's, that's, okay. That's all it sounds like. 
Okay, so, so I guess we can hand him that because just as he's supposed to testify, so are we, kind of. As me- okay. Why? Because men and women, boys and girls who've been baptized and received the gift of the Holy Ghost have the privilege and duty of being a witness of Jesus Christ because the mission of the Holy Ghost told again and again in the scriptures is to testify of the Father and the Son. That's your responsibility as well as mine. Okay. So we were all baptized. We were all given the gift of the Holy Ghost. The main mission of the Holy Ghost is to testify of the truth of the reality of the Father and the Son. So in that vein, since we've all had that, it's all our duty. Well, so far, I hear him relegating the duty of an apostle down to the duty of a lay member, which is not supposed to be true. So, aren't you guys different? Oliver said you were. Well, Oliver said com- you have a he special. He completely evaded the question. Yeah. And, as you said, shifted it onto the members. It's yeah. not only, fuck your question, I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to talk about what you need to be doing. <laughs> Right. And let's ignore the fact that I'm an apostle, and way back to the days of Joseph and Oliver, I'm supposed to have a greater duty than you, because I'm supposed to have be able to testify that I've seen God and Jesus face to face and be able to tell you that. That's what... It, okay, well, let's see what else he says here. You read in the Doctrine and Covenants that a, an apostle is a witness of the name of Christ in all the world. What's the difference between a witness of Christ and a witness of the name of Christ? That's a big subject. I wrote a book on it a long time ago. Okay, so here he's going to tell us, because he wrote a book on it too, what's the difference between being, I guess, just a witness of Christ, like he says every member has to be, and a witness of the name of Christ? Sounds like the same thing to me. (laughs) But... uh... (laughs) He wrote a book on it, he says. He talks about how the book basically failed here in a minute, which is hilarious. Listen to why he says it failed, David. You're going to love yeah. this. I, I went into print, out of print faster than any book I, I'm aware of. It, uh, it was just too much doctrine to be bought and given. Too, so, too much doctrine. That's a problem. <laughs> Just too much doctrine. I'm so fucking smart, and I know so much doctrine. I tried to write a book, but you weak-minded simpletons couldn't handle my shit, so my book didn't sell. It was just too much doctrine to be given as a gift to somebody. I mean, that's what he says. Now, listen to his apologetic response, why it was still valuable for him to write the book. The one that benefits from a talk is the one who prepares it, and the one that benefits from a book is the one who writes it. Oh, okay. Well, his book was a piece of shit and didn't sell, but hey, it was still worthwhile because I benefited from writing it. (laughs) Okay, whatever, man. Get back on point here. What do you got to say? And in a word, the name of Christ, of which I am a witness, is the authority of Christ. What? So he's saying, okay, let's backtrack a second. 
I'm going to be a witness of the name of Christ. So one of the things he says that is equal to is I'm going to be a witness to the authority of Christ. Um, How do you witness something that's not tangible? Yeah, let's, uh, there's more to it, I think, of being, let's see. The mission of Christ. The mission of Christ. Putting the atonement and the plan of salvation and the essence of Christ, including Godhood. Okay, and the essence. So the authority, the The mission. mission, and the essence. If this was true, if you were taking him for his word here, let's say he was a real apostle and that all this was real. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, we're stretching. The third part sounds the closest to me. If I'm going to witness of the essence of Christ as a member of the Godhead, it would help to meet him, right? Because then I could be a special witness of that, his essence, his his power. You know, wow, he's he's real. He's me- so. Let's see if he goes there. Let's. I'm a witness of those great realities. In addition to being a witness of Christ, I witness of His mission, of His divinity, to which He beckons each one of us. On condition of covenants and repentance and faithfulness and of his authority. So again, shifting it over to what the member's duties are, just a complete evasion of what the question really was and has been, because he says he's been asked many times, as have the other brethren. Oh, I'm sure. Because people really want to know, look, I'm investing my entire life Mm -hmm. into this church Mm -hmm. that professes to be led by men who have actually been visited by Jesus Christ. Is that real? Fuck you, members. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah. Not going to go there. It's too, too sacred. The best you get, the best you get is it's too sacred, right? That's the best answer you get. Let's see how he wraps it up here. Which I'm privileged to hold the keys of. That's another unique position. Okay, so he's admitting here it's a unique position as an apostle, at least, to hold the keys of Jesus' authority. Okay. And out of all of that, I testify to you that we have the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, and then he ends his comments blabbing into a normal, we have the fullness, whatever fullness means. Same Same bullshit. There's lots of quotes out there, guys, where this, I don't know what you even want to call it, claim, uh, this kind of pseudo-claim or these vague statements that don't tell the church members directly that you haven't seen the face of Jesus but don't say that you have, and so it, you leave this. It reminds this, me yeah, real quick. Right. <laughs> it reminds me of Clinton, and I thought of this earlier in the podcast <laughs> where he's being grilled about Monica Lewinsky, and he says, it depends on what your meaning of the word is, is. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just complete bullshit. Yeah, right. Gone answer a non-answer to a critical question from the membership of the church. Yeah, yeah. There's so much here. Howard W. Hunter, 
These 12 apostles, he's talking about biblical apostles, served a vital function in the Lord's plan. They were special witnesses of the Savior's divinity and of his literal resurrection. What does that mean? Not only did they know him during his mortal ministry, but they communed with him after his resurrection. The resurrected Redeemer appeared in the midst of his disciples. What are you suggesting, Mr. Hunter? You're suggesting the current apostles have the same experiences, are you not? That's exactly what you're alluding to by hearkening back to the old apostles and what they experienced with Jesus. And then he fast-forwards in our day, the Lord has again called apostles. These apostles have been ordained as special witnesses of Christ. They know of the reality of Christ. So what are you suggesting? Let's make it even more clear. Uh, We're eternally grateful for the witness of Joseph Smith, who was, quote, called of God, ordained an apostle of Jesus Christ, in fulfilling his apostolic calling, Joseph Smith bore this powerful witness. We were just talking about this, quote, And now after the many testimonies which have been given of him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of him, that he lives. How do you know? Quote, For Lord, we saw him, saw him even on the right hand of God. Okay, then he fast forwards again as an ordained apostle and special witness of Christ. I give you my solemn witness. Well, what does that mean to the listener? It's a simple mathematical equation. You're giving all these examples of people who saw him and knew him face to face. You're fast forwarding to now and saying, just like then, we have apostles now who know Jesus. What are members going to assume? They're going to draw that line, are they not? And they're going to say, ah, So what you're really saying is, you and the other apostles have seen Jesus. That's what you're saying. Of course, that's what you're saying. And it's a control mechanism, again, of what value is that of control. We have seen God. You need to listen to us. We are special. Special. Very special. So special. I got to have some of your attention. Give it to me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> We're really kidding. <laughs> hey, I thought of that song when you said so special. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. The 12 traveling counselors, Boyd K. Packer. Occasionally, during the past year, I've been asked a question. Does that sound familiar to Oaks, what he just said? Mm -hmm. Usually, it comes as a curious, almost an idle question about the qualifications to stand as a witness for Christ. The question they ask is, quote, have you seen him? Have you seen him? What does Packer say in response to this question? Well, he starts with, that's a question I have never asked of another like you, you should feel ashamed. Yeah, it's inappropriate. That. How I have dare not, you question my authority? Well, listen to this. I have not asked that question of my brethren in the quorum, thinking that it would be so sacred and so personal that one would have to have some special inspiration, indeed, some authorization, even to ask it. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to make the members feel guilty. To ask oh, that question of an apostle. Twist. Twist that thing, you bitch. Twist. Says, yeah, says Packer, 
there are some things just too sacred to discuss. Because they're not real. <laughs> yeah. What are you suggesting to the members then? Even by saying that, you're saying, right. well, gosh, if he says the topic of seeing Jesus is sacred and, and there's some things that are too sacred to discuss, <gasps> he must Basically, have seen Jesus. Yeah, and basically the membership isn't even worthy to know whether or not we've seen him. Mm-hmm. Here's some that more would... from Packer. Whatever. You got to hear this. This is great stuff. I have heard one of my brethren declare, I know from experiences too sacred to relate that Jesus is the Christ. I've heard another testify, I know that God lives. I know that the Lord lives. And more than that, I know the Lord What's up? It's Jesus. How you doing, bro? You, what does that mean to know him? Yeah. Um, guys, we're leading the members. It's like leading the witness in a court, right? You're yep. leading the members. You don't dare come out and tell them the truth like an honest Joseph F. Smith, right? <laughs> Think about it. He was the prophet at the fucking time. I haven't seen God. Thank you. For being honest, right? Well, we're not going to do that. We're just going to couch our remarks in these vague little terms of, well, some things are too sacred to relate. It would be very sacred to see Jesus. Well, what's that add up to? You're suggesting something, aren't you? I want to bear my witness. I had an experience. I think it was a special experience. I had fasted and prayed and was wanting to see the face of Jesus. And I saw a pair of eyes and I realized your eyes without a face. <laughs> we should have Billy Idol on the show. What a great guest that would be, huh? He could tell yeah. us about. Guys without a fish. <laughs> I'm sure he's Mormon. Oh, I'm sure he's Mormon. Yeah, he's White wedding? Jesus. Come on, that was about the celestial kingdom. Of course, it was a metaphor. Yeah, of course it was. Taking off on the blue highway. On the blue highway. <laughs> yeah, all right. Take it easy, guys. Have a great rest of your week. Whenever you listen to this, we'll check in with you later. Bye.